Well, I don't know if you've noticed this. We have um, had the opportunity to travel a little bit recently, and we, I noticed something that I, I'm sure you've noticed it too. There are idiots everywhere. <laughs> um, we find them on the, the worst is obviously driving. Uh, not me, because I'm the best, but gosh, it seems like ev- everybody else. You just go, what? you're an idiot. What? Where is your head right now? Um, so drivers, yeah, they're the worst. Then you find them, um, gosh, on TV. Idiots run amok on television. Uh, we, we celebrate them. Uh, let's see. When, uh, when we left, uh, Serenity graduated our, our oldest. And uh, so we, we took her on a cruise to Mexico. We drove down, went, went out of Alabama, out of Mobile. And it turns out you find idiots on the cruise ship as well. Now, the idiots you might be thinking of uh, don't come out till we go to bed because we like to go get up early and eat in the dining room and have people bring food to us. Uh, and we go to bed before most of the people you're thinking of, you know, come out. But the last night of the cruise, um, it, you know, they're making their last minute pitches to sell you all the pictures that they've taken everywhere you turn and so Carrie, Joe, and I, and the kids are just kind of looking through pictures, making fun of the faces that we make because we know we're not going to buy them. Because, um, but anyway, there was this guy, uh, one of the workers, one of the photographers on the ship. Uh, he and I had a uh, just we hit it off. We were kind of picking at each other. It's a story for another time. But I saw him there at the counter, and I, I was I was going to say something since you know we probably would never see each other again, and just tease him a little bit more. But then I found an idiot um, who was already talking to him. And this was a girl. Uh, not that that matters, because, you know. Anyway, she was there at the counter asking him questions about, you know, life on the ship. Uh, what's it like to, to, you know, work at sea? And here we are floating in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And she's just like, what about this? You know, all this stuff. And then finally, the kicker. She looks at this man and says, so um, do you like sleep on the ship? <laughs> what? I mean, I could not. I mean, no, they get off. There's a little ship that comes off to take them to their hotel. What? <sighs> so there are, yeah, there are idiots everywhere. But at the risk of sounding like I'm being judgmental, I want you to know that I too have moments of idiocy. Uh, and maybe you've done this. So I read a lot of ebooks uh, on my Kindle, and one of the things I love about it is I can press a word and it'll define it for me. But occasionally I'll be reading a physical book, and I have found myself pressing the pages. <laughs> and um, I mean, I catch it pretty quick that it's obviously not going to pop up. Uh, or, and maybe you've done this too, I'm looking at a picture and I, I, want, I do this number on it. It just makes you feel really stupid. Now, this one, uh, this will be the first time mom's heard this one. Um, a few weeks ago, I, was, I took mom somewhere, and I was helping her get stuff out of the car and um, take it inside. And so we're, we're getting out of the car at her house and dropping her off. And I get back into the car to realize I failed to put it in park. Uh, could have been a disaster, but it wasn't. 
It wasn't long. It was good. We're good. Um, I've tried to take, uh, if you wear glasses, uh, trying to grab at my glasses uh, when they're not on my face. Um, the worst, I think, for me was um, we were leaving a restaurant. We'd eaten great lunch. I think it was after church. Um, and I start fiddling around trying to find my keys and can't find them. I'm not one to panic, so we keep walking. Uh, I figure Carrie Joe's got a backup set, and then I'll find it. Didn't need to find it because the keys were in the car with the car running and unlocked for the entirety of my dinner. Now, you may wonder to yourself why I would start off a sermon entitled Lower Yourself uh, with a litany of stories that make you wonder if, in fact, your executive minister is really an idiot. And that's because I, I, I feel the need to fix the title a little bit, and there's a reason for that. 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 um, is a, are challenging chapters, some of the most challenging. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, we've been talking through 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has this deep relationship with the church there in Corinth. And, and so he's, it's like he's making one last attempt to get them to grasp this, this gospel-shaped wisdom of God And so he takes an unexpected approach because they seem to be wanting to lean into Corinthian wisdom. So these two chapters, Paul will explain how to be an idiot and how to be wise. And so today, I've changed the title of this message to How to Be an Idiot in Four Easy Steps. And before you start grabbing your phones to write emails or calls to the elders about this title, I'm using Paul's word uh, I'm Paul, pulling the Paul card. Uh, idiotes is a word that he'll use in this passage, uh, which simply means to be a, an unwise person or to be a fool. And now, because of Paul's love for the church in Corinth, he is writing this with tears in his eyes and his tongue firmly in his cheek. And I'm, in, I'm indebted to Gary Miller uh, for his commentary uh, for the shaping of this message. And I want to read this passage from the message. Um, you can follow along with the NIV, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. But uh, I think the message really grabs the tongue-in-cheekness of this passage. So we'll read, uh, starting with chapter 11, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Will you put up with a little foolish aside from me? Please, just for a moment, the thing that has me so upset is that I care about you so much. This is the passion of God burning inside me. I promised your hand in marriage to Christ, presented you as a pure virgin to her husband, and now I'm afraid that exactly as the snake seduced Eve with his smooth patter, you're being lured away from the simple purity of your love for Christ. It seems that if someone shows up preaching quite another Jesus than we preach, different spirit, different message, you put up with him quite nicely But if you put up with these big shot apostles, why can't you put up with simple me? I'm as good as they are. It's true, I don't have their voice, haven't mastered that smooth eloquence that impresses you so much. But when I do open my mouth, at least I know what I'm talking about. We haven't kept anything back. We let you in on everything. So I wonder, did I make a bad mistake in proclaiming God's message to you without asking for something in return? Serving you free of charge? so that you wouldn't be inconvenienced by me? It turns out the other churches paid my way so that you could have a free ride. Not once 
during the time I lived among you, did anyone have to lift a finger to help me out? My needs were always supplied by the believers from Macedonia. I was careful to never be a burden to you, and I never will be. You can count on it. With Christ as my witness, it's a point of honor with me. I'm not going to keep quiet just to protect you from what your neighbors will think. It's not that I don't love you. God knows that I do. I'm just trying to keep things open and honest between us. And I am not changing my position on this. I would die before taking your money. I'm giving nobody grounds for lumping me in with those money-grubbing preachers, vaunting themselves as something special. They're a sorry bunch. Pseudo-apostles, lying preachers, crooked workers, posing as Christ's agents, but a sham to the core. And no wonder, Satan does it all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light. So it shouldn't surprise us when his servants masquerade as servants of God. But they're not going to get by with anything. They'll pay for it in the end. So as we unpack this, let's, let's look at the first step in being an idiot. Step one, according to Paul, ignore the people who you love, who love you the most. As I said, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth had grown complicated because they had this, after he left, this part Christian, part Jewish, part philosopher bunch that had come in uh, selling their half-baked teaching. And he starts by saying he, he wishes he, they bear with him just, just a little foolishness. I think, he, I think you understand where he's coming from. So he starts with this metaphor about a wedding. He's committed, a father who's committed uh, to getting his daughter down the aisle without her becoming a runaway bride. The daughter knows of the love of the father. The daughter knows of the love of her husband-to-be. But she's still being wooed by some slick-talking dude with flashy clothes and a half a million Instagram followers. And he says, you're you're being drawn away by these people who are saying nice, flowery things. But isn't isn't that true of us? We like to hear nice things about ourselves. We're drawn to people who make us feel good. But the unfortunate thing about people who always say nice things about you is that they're not telling the truth. And I know this because you are not that nice. I am not that nice. We're not nice all the time. But do you know who speaks the nicest to you? Salespeople, politicians, and anybody else trying to get something from you. The people who love us, like really love you, will sometimes have to say things that are unpleasant, things we don't want to hear, because they want to see you grow in the likeness of Jesus. So I wonder if you have people like that in your life, people who will speak the truth to you. And if you do, thank the Lord. And make sure you spend time with them talking about what really matters. And if you don't have those people in your life, begin to pray today that God will provide them for you. Ministry matters, but it's not about us. Paul knows this, that at the end of the day, we need to be passionate and compassionate, but it's not about me. So if you want to be an idiot, then make it about you 
And a great first step is ignoring the people who love you the most. Step two, swap the truth for lies. Or maybe more bluntly, be gullible. Paul had poured his heart and soul into this church. So it's no wonder he was gutted so deeply when they lost their grip on everything he had taught them, swapping the gospel for pleasant-sounding lies. According to verses 3 and 4, they had embraced a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And so he throws back to the Old Testament and Eve's interaction with the serpent where Satan, Paul reminds them that Satan's a powerful communicator. Uh, And by simply playing on Eve's insecurities and her lack of intimacy with her creator, she was led astray by Satan simply misquoting God. Because Satan knows if you make something sound a little bit like something Jesus maybe said or should have said or whatever, and and it sounds like something you really want, then it's over. He's got you. And Paul was pretty clear The Corinthians' gullibility made them fools. But the philosophers who were infiltrating, they were satanic. And calling someone the spawn of Satan uh, maybe seems a bit over the top. They they weren't causing the same problems that uh, some of the Judaizers were causing in Galatia. Uh, They were pompous troublemakers. But Paul meant what he said. In the same way the serpent suckered Eve into thinking that she and Adam could get away with anything less than wholehearted obedience, these teachers led the Corinthians for a similarly self-gratifying track. They're enemies of the gospel. They and the Corinthians had swapped the truth for a lie. And that's that's always the way of the fool. Now, We don't want to be a generation that uh, picks fights in the church. However, it may be the weakness of the church today that we aren't really ready to fight at all. But when the truth is at stake within the church, Paul is deeply intolerant. But I don't want you to mistake what what I just said. Hear this again. When the truth is at stake within the church... Paul is deeply intolerant. When it's outside the church, that's a different approach, different ballgame, different set of rules, different ways of communicating. But in the church, Paul is theologically farsighted. He recognizes that while these new teachers that have crept in are teaching things that have an element of truth to it, they're teaching the basic facets of the faith, it's their practices and their arrogant rejection of of Christ-like living Those are the things that will eventually seep into the water supply of the church and poison it from within. But there's a lot of teaching out there. Uh, There are a lot of preachers out there. There are a lot of authors and new ideas. And we have to be ready to think through those implications of each and every new idea. I think I've said it before uh, if you're curious as to whether like your favorite uh, preacher, speaker, author is kind of in the 
maybe a prosperity gospel kind of preacher who says that God wants you to be happy and healthy and all that stuff, um, which is not exactly true, just for the record. Uh, I used to say that, or I still say, if you want to know whether they're a prosperity gospel, look at their book covers. Not everyone, I'm not, gonna, I'm not making a blanket statement, but, but the majority of the gospel, prosperity gospel people have their face on the cover of their books with their titles. Do some research this afternoon. It's true. Everybody else has a pretty... Max Lucado's face is never on the cover of his books. Uh, anyway, that's an aside. So be ready to think through each and every new idea that comes along and be ready to fight for the truth. That is, unless you want to be an idiot, then, of course, swap a truth for lies. Step three, be impressed by the show. Now, Paul uses this phrase, uh, super apostles or big shot apostles. And I don't know if the Corinthians came up with that or Paul did, or maybe that's what these guys call themselves. Regardless, you can guess about how, uh, how much Paul, what he thought about them and what they called, uh, were called and their claims and how they were suckering the church. But let's stop for a minute. And let's be honest. How pathetic is it that the church in Corinth had an extended amount of time with the greatest church planter and theologian the world has ever seen, and they didn't see it. I mean, it should have been abundantly clear from his visits that he was the real deal. They should have seen it from his first letter that they had just received the year before. He was right there the entire time, and they missed it. There's a there's a story told of a group of hikers traveling uh, through the foothills of the Himalayas, and they ran across this older guy, um, and they said, hey, man, would you mind taking our group's picture? And so you know how it is uh, on vacation. Hey, he didn't steal their camera. That's a different kind of vacation. But uh, he took their picture, and they were like, oh, thanks, man, appreciate it. And they sent him on his way, and they went on their way. And only later did they make the connection that that older gentleman was Sir Hillary, or Sir Edmund Hillary, one of the first men to climb Mount Everest. And I wonder if the Corinthians were ever embarrassed by their failure to be impressed by Paul. I mean, look at what Paul, look what he has to write to them in verse 6. He says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, there's idiotes. Even if I am an idiot, I'm not so in knowledge Indeed, in every way I've made this plain to you in all things. Idiotes is sometimes defined as being trained in rhetoric, but not making use of its techniques. And maybe this is his point here. Paul, he's refusing to participate in the showboating that's marked this traveling philosophy circus. And, and whether it's right or not, the believers should have realized it when, they came, when it came to knowing God and the gospel, that Paul was the real deal. But here's what I believe. I believe the problem is that the real deal is something that we're not actually looking for. Because we like the show. We like those pithy little sayings that we can post on Facebook. Uh, we like the excitement of the show. We like new and we long for that 
because it, it gets us fired up. But the show, without discernment, is setting yourself up to be an idiot. Because discernment is by far one of the most underrated uh, characteristics. We're, because we're all susceptible to falling, falling into the same traps the Corinthians did. Maybe it's our own insecurities. Um, and when somebody shows up who's strong where we're weak, we're just impressed by the show. We tend to be impressed by people who touch on the raw nerve of our vulnerabilities. But I wonder today, who gets past your defenses? And I think this is, this is worth asking. Who gets past your defenses? Maybe it's because they're a little bit like the person you wish you were. It's worth giving some thought to. Again, unless you want to be an idiot. In which case, you should definitely ignore the people who love you. You should uh, give up on the truth and be impressed by the show. And finally, you should respect those people who seek to exploit you. Surely by now you've picked up on Paul's frustration. And even maybe some bewilderment at the behavior of this church that he loved and invested so much time and energy into. It, it just wasn't working. Even the fact that he was adamant that he was not going to charge for preaching, even that backfired. But Paul knew that in Corinth, as in much of the Roman world, you paid speakers to speak. An audience paid, the audience was paid to listen to them. So you got what you paid for. And so if somebody came and didn't charge anything, they must not be worth listening to. So Paul, on the other hand, comes in. Uh, he was taking this gospel of grace to them. And it was, it was so important that he was going to go against cultural norms, not just of not charging, but, but he also was doing manual labor, which was uh, a bit of a, a demeaning thing. And he did it all for the sake of the message so that no one would miss it. And he went so far as asking them if he had sinned by humbling himself that they might be exalted because I preach to you free of charge. The Corinthians were so mixed up that even though God has exalted people throughout the entirety of the Bible who did what Paul did through humbling himself, the Corinthians labeled it a sin. He humbled himself on every visit. He didn't ask for support. He didn't take on a local benefactor. He used the generosity of the Macedonian church and their mutual desire to see Corinth receive the good news of Jesus the problem was that the Corinthians, who had known Jesus, didn't recognize the self-sacrifice and humility of Paul when they saw it in action. Instead, they despised him and honored the salesmen who were messing with their heads. And Paul knew one of the easiest ways to discredit the gospel is through accusations of you know, being in it for the money. Ambryosiaster. Ambryosiasters. Anyway, this fourth century dude, this is what he wrote. Uh, Paul refused payment for two reasons. Uh, first, he would not resemble the false apostles who were preaching for their own advantage and not for the glory of God. And second, he would not allow the vigor of his message to become sluggish for the person who accepts payment from sinners loses the authority to censure them. 
And Paul was saying, he's insisting that it's idiotic to say, well, Paul doesn't love us because he's not trying to rip us off. It's craziness to despise Paul and respect the imposters who operated on an entirely different set of principles. In an attempt to get them to face this reality, in verse 12, he says, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until you realize the difference between my methods and those of the people he's describing as false apostles, deceitful workmen who are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He even goes so far as to label them as servants of Satan, disguised as servants of righteousness. So if you want to be an idiot, he suggests, then go ahead and respect the people who are exploiting you. So there you have it. Paul, in four simple steps, teaches you how to be an idiot. And I think if, if we were all honest and we were Paul, we put ourselves in his shoes, I don't think a single one of us would have blamed him if he said, you know what, somebody else can deal with these people. They're just not receiving it. He could have thrown in the towel and none of us would have blamed him. But I think we could all benefit from a couple of reminders. Number one, it's always so much easier to spot other people's blind spots than our own. You know this to be true. I know it to be true. That's why I can find idiots all around. But uh, it's never me, right? And secondly, we have to realize that Satan, Satan is not stupid. Satan doesn't come to us as Satan, and he doesn't present sin to us as sin. It's far easier to admit far easier than we'd like to admit to be fooled. Being an idiot takes very little effort. The Corinthians proved that to us with some pizzazz. Getting it wrong comes naturally to most of us. Paul has spent so much of his letter so far telling people of the grace that's, that abounds. And then he comes in this way, trying another angle, but one of the first steps to, to growing is facing the fact that I'm just not naturally wise and I need God's help. So I don't know, but I'm going to ask you today, have you embraced your propensity for getting it wrong? Have you ever considered why when you need them the most, you push away the people who love you the most? And if you don't do it with the people around you, you know you do it with Jesus. So why is that? Why are we so susceptible for swapping the truth or believing these lies that have just elements of truth in it? So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we overcome this? Well, with God's help, we lean into those who truly love us. This is one of the many beautiful things about the church. We can lean on each other because you know I'm an idiot. First one. You can figure out the rest of this. But we can hold on to the truth. We can seek it out. When something sounds too good to be true, we can investigate. We have more information at our fingertips. We can be impressed by the real deal and learn to, to honor and respect those who teach and model the gospel in day-to-day -day life. 
And there is hope. You're not doomed to be an idiot. There's a way to be wise. But we don't have time for that today. So you have to come back next week, okay? Uh, Let's pray. Lord, um, as, uh, as much as I'm uncomfortable saying the word idiot so many times from this platform, I, I thank you for this, uh, this teaching of Paul that though I don't like to admit it, I know I need it. Because what was true for the Corinthians is true for us today. May we not be deceived. May we who are within the church who know the grace and power of Jesus Christ, may, may we not allow anything to steer us off the path of obedience, a life of obedience to Jesus. I thank you for the example of the Corinthian church that serves to us as a, as a warning as an example that we don't have to repeat history. So Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we've been impressed by things that don't impress you. When we have made excuses for truths that we want to be true that really are rotten on the inside. May we be a body collectively and individually that is surrendered to you that is about your work in this world that we might share that hope that we have found in Jesus may you be glorified in us this I pray in Jesus name amen so we're going to sing a couple of songs and and this is, an, uh, this is a time of response. For some of you, maybe you don't sing and you just process this and ask yourselves some of those questions. Maybe you do sing. Maybe, maybe today is the time where you want to say, I've been here for a while and I've never placed my membership. Maybe today's that day. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as the hope for your life. Maybe that's today for you. And if so, I'll be back here in the next steps room. And maybe, maybe today you've just kind of gotten off track a little bit. We get it. We've been there. And there's hope. Uh, and I'd love to, to talk with you or pray with you, uh, answer questions that you might have, and help you in your next steps. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing. And if you have a decision to make, I'll be back here.